On location in the Holy Land, David Taverner from UCB travels with Bible teacher and church pastor Mike Beaumont to trace the life of Jesus then and now. I suppose you could say, Mike, that we're almost at the end of the story. We're focusing on his departure. Where are we, first of all? Yeah, you're right, David. We've made uh, a long journey, haven't we, up and down to follow in the footsteps of Jesus. And we've ended up on the Mount of Olives in one of the potential areas where he departed, where he returned to his Father in heaven. When you say one of the sites, how do you mean? Well, um, we're not told exactly where it was that Jesus departed from. Uh, all we know from the scriptures is that he ascended into heaven in the vicinity of Bethany. Now, Bethany is a little village on the east slope of the Mount of Olives, but all three claimed sites are actually on the west side of the Mount of Olives. Now, you know, they're pretty close together, but the honest truth is we don't know the exact spot from where he ascended to heaven. We do know it was from the Mount of Olives, that's where we are now, and we're at one of those three sites that claim to be the spot. And, and what is here now? Well, where we are is what's been seen as one of the sites that's had the, the strongest claim, though, as I've said, probably none of them do really. Uh, we're at a place called uh, the Dome of the Ascension or the Chapel of the Ascension, which, believe it or not, now is a mosque. This is a site that was commemorated from really the early 300s. We know that Christians were meeting on this spot in a small cave church nearby and a, a building was erected later that century. The present building that we can see today, which is octagonal in shape, it's probably about 20 foot diameter. It has a dome on top and very, very small windows indeed. Uh, this particular building went up. It was constructed by the Crusaders in the 11th century. But Saladin, that, that great Muslim leader, expelled the Christians in 1187. But he had great respect for Christians and Christianity. And so he forbade his troops from destroying this site. It was preserved because he too believed in Jesus, maybe in a different way to what we do, certainly. But he wanted to honour him, he was a prophet, and therefore he demanded that this site be left untouched, but it was converted into a mosque, and it's still a mosque to this very day. In fact, right next to us, just a few feet away, we've got the Muslim minaret uh, with the speakers on top, and who knows, we may well get interrupted by a call to prayer at some point. And if you were to step inside this octagonal building, what would you see? Well, it, it's very bare. There really is nothing inside at all other than the limestone walls from that building. Except there is one thing in the ground. There's the bedrock on which this was built, uh, exposed at one point, and the shape in it. And it's claimed that this shape was the footprint of Jesus, the very mark he left when his last foot left here on earth. 
Now, I have to say, it's one of those things where you look at it and you think, yeah, I think I can just about make out a footprint. If we we're honest, when you and I just looked at it now, you thought the heel was on one side and I thought the heel was on the other side. Uh, and that sort of sums it up. But that is seen as, if you like, the most holy spot, uh, the very place where Jesus' foot left this earth when he returned to his Father. Well, remind us what the Bible says. What does the Bible record in terms of this departure? Probably a good thing to do, isn't it, when we're looking there at so much tradition. Was it this site? Was it one of the other two sites? Well, let's read what the Bible says. Now, it's Luke who records this for us, and he thought the ascension was so important that he actually recorded it twice. He records it at the end of his gospel, Luke's gospel, but then he also records it at the beginning of his second volume. He wrote a two-part work, uh, the book of Acts. So let's read them both together back to back. So Luke 24, 50 says that when Jesus had led them, the disciples, out to the vicinity of Bethany, he lifted up his hands and blessed them. And while he was blessing them, he left them and was taken up into heaven. Then they worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy, and they stayed continually at the temple, praising God. Now, that's a pretty concise explanation. So in his second volume, he unpacks that a little. So let's read now uh, Acts chapter 1 uh, from verse 1. In my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken up to heaven after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. After his suffering, he showed himself to these men and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you've heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So when they came together, they asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? And Jesus said to them, It's not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And after he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes and a cloud hid him from their sight. They were looking intently up into the sky as he was going when suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them. Men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking into the sky? This same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way you've seen him go into heaven. Then they returned to Jerusalem from the hill called the Mount of Olives, a Sabbath day's walk from the city. Before we sort of go back and look at some of the detail there, just one basic question. Why did Jesus have to depart in that somewhat unusual way. <laughs> well, I suppose you can say he came in an unusual way, didn't he? He's ending like he started. 
Um, remember, this story of Jesus is not the story of a mere prophet, a good man, a teacher. It is the story of the eternal Son of God, who at a point in human history came into this world. He came into it through the miracle of the incarnation, conceived within Mary and born as a real human being, yet remaining the Son of God. Now he comes to the end of his 33 years or so of life, and after his death and resurrection and that period of teaching his disciples about the kingdom, it's time for him to go home. And you know, since heaven isn't, you know, it's not a place in the sense that we would use that word. I, I suppose I would call it more, it's a dimension, it's another dimension. He has to leave our dimension and go into his dimension. And so there has to be some sort of departing in some way. And I think the way that it's done is a way that they would be able to connect with. We, we've seen before in previous episodes how a cloud often symbolized the presence of God. Uh, it's a symbol that goes right back, isn't it, to to when the cloud came down on Mount Sinai or to when the cloud came down on the tabernacle and the temple when they were dedicated. A cloud symbolized the coming of God himself. In other words, here is God coming to take his well-beloved son back home. I imagine him coming and as it were, metaphorically speaking, putting his arm around his shoulder and saying, well done, son. You did what we planned. It's time to go back now. As we're sitting here in this sort of enormous courtyard, really, with this uh, quite small mosque in the middle, I can hear the lovely voices of some Christian pilgrims who've just arrived to have a look for themselves, and they're singing in, in the background. Mm. And as I'm just thinking about that, I'm thinking that this departure of Jesus didn't happen straight away, straight after the resurrection. There was this period of, was it 40 days? Yeah, I mean, it would have been so easy to say, that's it, job done, going now. But what happens over those 40 days? Well, well, Luke tells us those 40 days were spent doing two things. The first is that Jesus had to convince them that he really was risen from the dead. And so why 40 days? Well, obviously 40 is significant in the Old Testament. It reflects that 40 year period in the wilderness, doesn't it? It, it? it speaks about a time of God's intervention and so on. And so he spends those 40 days and we've said previously, he wasn't with them the whole time, but it seems he came and he went, he came and he went. And it's as if he's preparing them for his final going. But you know, Think about it, if Jesus had just appeared once and then said, that's it, you've seen I'm risen now, I'm going, I think I'm pretty sure what those disciples would have thought. They would have thought, well, you know, we had the wrong thing for supper last night, didn't we? We've been dreaming, we've been hallucinating. So I think he comes again and again and again over those 40 days to let them know and to confirm he truly was risen. So that's the first thing that happens over those 40 days, Luke tells us. He's convincing them that he really is risen. The second thing he's doing, he tells us, is that he's teaching them about the kingdom of God. Well, hasn't he done that before? In fact, many, many times. Yeah, absolutely. And we've looked at that as a theme in one of our previous episodes. But I think what he's doing now is he's teaching them about the kingdom of God in light of his resurrection. 
suddenly everything has changed. That inbreaking kingdom had begun at the moment he started to come here to earth and begin his ministry. But now it's as if it's confirmed. It won't be completed until that other bit comes that it talks about here, his return again. But he's helping them to understand. So, so what does this message of the kingdom of God, the rule of God mean in the light of his resurrection? So I think he's unfolding that more for them. And previously, when he was talking about the kingdom, he used parables and stories and so on that they didn't understand. I wonder whether, you know, would he have been more direct this time? <laughs> well, the short answer is we don't know. We aren't told. But I'll tell you what, I think the penny would have really dropped now. Because, of course, so often in his teaching, we find even in the Gospels, people saying that they didn't quite understand or they have to come to him and say, so what did this parable mean? And suddenly, I think it's, oh, I see. Oh, I see. Yeah, we remember when you told us that. And now it all makes sense. What you were talking about was that you were going to have to come to Jerusalem and be crucified and be buried and rise on the third day. And that would be the means of sin being broken and your kingdom breaking open in a new and dynamic way. The point is that however this ascension happened, Jesus' resurrected body did have to leave planet Earth at some point. Yeah, and you know... That's amazing because the scripture's very clear that what left this planet Earth was the human risen Jesus. He, he didn't sort of let his spirit ascend back to heaven. He took the human body with him that his father and the Holy Spirit had prepared for him within Mary's womb at the incarnation. He, he doesn't go back as a ghost or a spirit or a, a soul or something like that and think, oh, you know, I can leave that body behind now, can't I? I don't need that anymore. And the disciples didn't find his skin and bones lying here on Mount of Olives. He really did go back as that man he had become, and yet as the God that he always was. And for me, that's tremendously encouraging because, you know, this whole series is called Jesus Then and Now. And, and what's the now implication of that for us? I think the implication for that, the encouragement I take is, it underlines that there is a place for humanity in heaven. Jesus is described as the first fruits of the resurrection from the dead, the, the down payment of what is to come. And it's as if because he has been risen from the dead, we can be sure we will be raised from the dead. And because he went into heaven with his humanity, we can be sure that there is a place in heaven for humanity, for who we are. And that is just so encouraging. If Jesus ascended to heaven from this point or somewhere near here on the Mount of Olives, we can hear the birds in the background and the sun is still beating down. Wasn't the reaction of the disciples somewhat unusual? <laughs> well, I don't know whether it's unusual or whether it is what you and I would probably have ended up doing, David, because what they end up doing first and foremost is gawping into the sky. Indeed. Uh, the angel says, you know, there they were looking intently into the sky. And you know, I often try to put myself into this situation. There you are, 
with Jesus, is teaching you, is giving you his, his, his last instructions, is telling you the Holy Spirit's going to come, he's telling you you're going to go out and, and be his witnesses. And, and then suddenly this cloud appears over him and Jesus begins in some way to go up, 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 and your eyes are going up higher and higher towards that cloud. And I think as my eyes went up, 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 my mouth would have gone down, down, down in sheer disbelief and amazement to the point that eventually these two angels have to say to them, men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into the sky? You know, if ever there were a prize for the most stupid question ever to be asked in the Bible, I reckon that would probably win the competition. <laughs> why do you stand looking into the sky? Well, at one level, it's obvious because we've just been completely gobsmacked yes. to see something like this happen. But it's as if the angels are saying, come on, think about his teaching. He's taught, hasn't he? Not only that he was going and would send the Holy Spirit to you, but don't you remember he taught also that he would come again one day, this Jesus whom you've seen go up into heaven, into God's dimension, will one day surely come back from heaven so why do you stand looking it's almost as if it's more than a question of asking the obvious it's a provocation why just stand here looking when there's work to be done jesus has given you a commission he's commissioned you to go into the whole earth he's told you to go back to jerusalem and wait for the power of the holy spirit to come come on guys there's stuff to be done and I think there's, you know, an application from that for us as well, David, because sometimes Christians can spend so long just reflecting on spiritual truth, particularly things like the return of Jesus. When will he come? Can we work out the date, even though he clearly said we couldn't? Let's look at the signs. What's going on in the world? What's going on in the Middle East? Are we any nearer now? And really what we need to be doing because all of that, frankly, is standing looking, is to be getting on with the task that he gave us until that day that he returns. And is that what the disciples do? Oh, absolutely. They go back to Jerusalem from here, so they would have just come over the top of the Mount of Olives and just a short distance down the Kidron Valley, up the other side, gone in through the Eastern Gate there, and they gathered in the room where they had been gathering uh, and they did the only thing they knew that they could do because Jesus had said wait for this gift this baptism of the Holy Spirit now I don't think they had any idea what that meant really so they go back and they spend the next 10 days between the ascension and Pentecost they spend the next 10 days praying 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 you know again like to be a fly on the wall lord we don't know what it is exactly that you promised us in promising us the holy spirit and promising we'd be baptized in the holy spirit but whatever it is lord we pray for it we long for it we want it lord we want him lord we want to be equipped for that work that you've called us to do but they know they didn't do anything else until jesus had indeed given them that power from on high the moment jesus actually ascended you read there from the Bible that a cloud was around. I'm taking back to the moment when we were looking towards Mount Hermon 
and the transfiguration of Jesus, mm. and there was a cloud there. They would have remembered that. Oh, absolutely. Now, remember, there were only three of the disciples with them, Peter, James, and John, at that moment. But they would have remembered. I'm sure they probably found it very hard to keep their mouths shut about what they'd experienced there among the other disciples. And so I think, yeah, there is an echo of that. What does the clout speak about? The presence of God, the confirmation, the affirmation that this is indeed his son. And what more affirmation could there be that Jesus Christ is the unique son of God than for him to be taken in bodily form back to his father, where he now reigns in glory, seated at God's right-hand side, the Bible said, in that position of authority and power and glory. So though this was his departure, it wasn't his final farewell? <laughs> uh, not at all. It wouldn't be his final farewell, first of all, because wherever people open their hearts to Jesus today, his Holy Spirit comes in and makes Jesus real to them. But of course, secondly, it wouldn't be his final farewell because as he promised, he's returning again. He's coming back one day. And we're going to look at that in our very final episode in this series. It's lovely to see another group of Christian pilgrims just arrived, having a look around and crossing themselves and just uh, respecting the uh, the place. But yeah, uh, a group from Spain, I think, trying to listen to the language over there. Yeah, yeah. But I think, as you've said before, it's not just about the place. No, not at all. It is about what happened here. And I think what I'd like to do is to perhaps just take us for a moment to think about the significance of the ascension. Because, yeah, it's not just about the place and it's not just about the event and him leaving here from earth and returning to heaven, his, his job done. You see, something very significant was happening when he left here. And actually, Paul makes reference to it in Ephesians chapter 1 uh, from verse 15. Um, and as our pilgrims here just walk by us, I, I'd just like to read that to you because it, it helps us see the significance of what happened that day. Yeah, please do. Paul says, For this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints, I have not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. I pray also that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints and his incomparably great power for us who believe. That power is like the working of his mighty strength which he exerted in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion and every title that can be given, not only in the present age but also in the one to come. And God placed all things under his feet, and appointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. 
And what Paul is saying there is he's praying this prayer for his friends in the church in Ephesus. I want you to grasp the significance of Jesus returning to his father. The significance of the ascension is that Jesus is enthroned once again. He is enthroned in heaven. He's seated at the right-hand side of the Father. Now, in the culture of the time, to sit at the right-hand side of a king was the place of greatest honor. It was a place of power. It was a place of authority. And using that picture, Paul sees Jesus now seated at the right-hand side of the Father. He's enthroned back where he rightfully belongs. He is now ruling over all things. His kingdom is now beginning to expand and will expand and will expand until eventually it takes over the whole earth. So how important is it as a Christian from a kind of creedal point of view to say, I believe in the ascension of Jesus? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's there in the creed, isn't it? But it's almost like tacked on, and I believe in the ascension. But it is, it is vital, not because it's like a doctrinal tick box, it's vital because we as Christians need to know that our Jesus is now reigning in heaven. Now, let's face it, stuff happens in life. Things go wrong. Things come against us, whether it's as individuals or as a church. But what we need to do and what the early church often needed to do was to remember that Jesus is seated at the right-hand side of the Father. He's ascended. Everything is under his feet. Now, every so often in life, it looks not like everything is under his feet or things that have been under his feet seem to squirm out. Mm. But we need to come back to this passage and pray them back under his feet, as it were, again, and say, Jesus, here's this circumstance, this situation, this person. You are the Lord who's reigning in heaven, and I'm looking to you to exert your kingly power and authority. Now, here's an interesting little Bible study that listeners could do one time. Read the book of Acts and look out for all the references to the ascension. You'll find that the ascension is referred back to far more than most of us think. And it's often at a time when things go wrong and they appeal to the risen Jesus. Now, there's a flip side to it as well. Because Jesus is ascended and reigning, we see two things happening in the book of Acts. Because he's ascended, we see first miracles and power and church growth and salvation by the thousands and the church expanding and growing and demons fleeing, all because Jesus is ascended. But secondly, in the very same book and intertwined with those stories, because Jesus is ascended, we also see the church opposed and suffering. Why? Because there is still one at the moment who hates him being ascended, who opposed him all through his life, who still now seeks to oppose his people, his body, the church on earth. And both these things happen in Acts because Jesus is ascended. There's growth, there's expansion, there's miracles, there's deliverance, and there's suffering and there's opposition, all because Jesus is ascended. And theologically, the ascension is the explanation for both. But the message is it's okay. It's okay. He's in heaven. He's reigning. And one day he will be coming back for us. And you said that the disciples from this moment of ascension went on and waited as they were told to wait. And from then on, 
the story continues. Absolutely, the story continues. Ten days later, the Holy Spirit is given and the church breaks forth and they begin to share the good news of Jesus who came, not as a man, but God come among us, who taught, who did miracles, who did acts of power to prove that he truly was Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God. He was rejected by people. He was crucified, he was buried, he rose again from the dead and he's ascended to the Father. And that message carries on through his Holy Spirit. His presence carries on through the Holy Spirit. That Spirit who was given just half a mile away from where we are. How wonderful to know that Jesus may have gone, but he's never gone because his spirit is always with those who put their trust in him. Well, with our thoughts on the Ascension, as we almost conclude this series, just pray for us now, Mike. Lord Jesus, here on this spot where we recall your Ascension, we honour you today. We bow the knee before the one who was taken back to the Father and given the throne of glory that you had freely chosen to abandon in order to come to earth as a real human being. We honor you as king today. We bow our knee before you today. And we ask that we would live with you as our risen and ascended king. That when stuff and people come against us, we would appeal to you, seated at the right-hand side of the Father, to show your mighty power. And that when suffering comes, because there are those who oppose that, that you would remind us you're still reigning, that you still have the last word. And that for those who trust in you, though they may lose their life, yet will they gain it. Lord Jesus, we honour you. Ascend it, King. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Mike Beaumont and David Taverner in the Holy Land, tracing the life of Jesus then and now. Check out the UCB website for the free episode guide with photos, Bible references and background information. Go to ucb.co.uk forward slash Jesus then and now. And you can hear more 30 minute conversations with Mike and David talking about the Bible on the UCB player app. Under podcasts, just select Bible books, Bible biogs or Bible surprises. Bible surprises.